0: Hello people of the way. If you have your Bible, please open up to first Corinthians chapter eight, uh, continuing in our study through the New Testament uh, we're here in First Corinthians chapter eight, but remember here what's happening is that there's uh, there's a shift in what's happening with this particular study what Paul is writing to the church and what Paul is writing to us today because w- uh, understand that the church in Corinth was a young church. The time period by which the the, the church was founded and the 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 time period uh, that this letter was written to the church, there's about a three year gap. Three year gap could be two to four, but you know when you when you look at the the the, uh, 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 the history, you look at uh, uh, Acts eighteen nineteen uh, time periods, historical studies. I'd say about three years. So there's like a three year gap. Uh, 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 when First Corinthians, the letter to the church, was written, and when the church was founded. But for three years, there was no growth. Stagnant. It was stagnant. It, remember in chapter 3, verse 1, when Paul says, uh, uh, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. You are still not able, he tells to the church, he says to the church, for you are still carnal, he says. You are still carnal. And for three years, that's what happened. Now you say, okay, so they're a baby church, they're a young church. But also, don't forget that in Hebrews uh, uh, chapter 5, in verse uh, th- uh, Hebrews 5, verse 13, for everyone who partakes only of milk, and that was the church in Corinth, for three years, only of milk, milk drinkers. Hebrews 5.13 says, For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. Unskilled. For he is a babe. In verse 14. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. That's what happens with the spiritual pork pork chops. Solid food. Milk is beautiful, milk is good, but it's for babies. And when you see what's happening to the church in Corinth, you understand that milk is dangerous. I mean, you know, milk is good, but I mean, if you're a new believer and, you know, you're, you're, you're on milk for a week, a couple of weeks, maybe like four or five, six weeks, maybe I'll stretch it. But we have to move on to perfection. You have to move on to perfection. And that's a choice. The desire to grow or not. But when there is no growth, that's where it gets dangerous. When there is no growth. Because look what's happening in Corinth. When I say there's a shift in chapter 8. Now, don't forget, the last several weeks, the last several chapters that we studied, there's some heavy, heavy stuff. Heavy, heavy. And it breaks my heart. Because just like in chapter 5, there was a guy who was having sex with his dad's wife. Remember, chapter 5, verse 1, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you inside the church, not the world. Corinth is Corinth. He's talking about inside the church. He says in chapter 5, verse 1, and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles, that a man has his father's wife. What in the world is happening? And he's going to church. He's joining in the fellowship of the saints. And Paul says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, in verse 4, when you are gathered together along with my spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ, deliver such a one to Satan, he says, for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Your glorying is not good. Your rejoicing is is not good. Imagine that church. Everybody praise the Lord. Hallelujah. They speak Christianese. Speaking Christianese is easy. You know, they say the praise the Lord, hallelujah, but you know what? Wait a second, what's happening? You can say praise the Lord, you can say hallelujah, you can speak Christianese, but where's the fruit? Paul says your rejoicing isn't good. A little leaven leavens the bunch, and he says in verse 7, purge out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. You see, purge out the old leaven, and that's what we see in verse 11, still in chapter 5. Not to keep company with anyone named a brother. And then he lists all these works of the flesh. In verse 13 in chapter 5, put away from yourself the evil person. And we didn't end there. I mean, that was like we had a little break, a week-long break. And that was like, whoa, this is heavy. And yes, it is heavy. But then at the same time, in chapter 6, there's more. We talked about more. more a lot of sex. A lot of sex. You know, the drunkards, homosexuals, sodomites, revilers. And what's so beautiful about chapter 6 is, in verse 11, such were some of you. Past tense. Past tense. And then chapter 7, marriage. Marriage, divorce. I mean, a lot of sex in chapter 7, too. You know, instead instead of burning with passion, Wait, because there's no self control, get married. I mean, is that does that mean you get married just for like the sexual activity? Well, I mean, it's better than than the burning hell. I mean, if you say, "Oh, I don't want to get married," but you're gonna have sex with all kinds of different prostitutes and whatever, you know, it's like, wait a second, you know. It's better to get married than burn in hell. Now, I don't mean to cheapen marriage because there's so much more to marriage. And then we we study in chapter 7, what about the better marriage? The better marriage, which is Jesus Christ. You see, we have to be a people that is very forward-looking, looking to paradise, looking to Christ, looking to Jesus Christ. And then at the same time, you know, we talked about marriage, but we also talked about divorce. And we also talked about the beauty of singleness and for married people as single. Now, that alone is like, that's supernatural. Remember, chapter 7, verse uh, uh, 29, from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. It's not to say like, wow, we're free, you know, you're a married guy. Wow, let's go to the bars. No, 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 no. Because in verse 32 of chapter 7, he who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. And then for the female, in verse 34, the unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. You see, it's all to be about the Lord's business. And so now as we discuss these heavy chapters in 5, 6, 7, wow. Now we're in chapter 8 where there's a little shift. Where you know, we're still going to talk about carnal things. We're still going to study carnal things in chapter 8, 9, 10, 11. We're still going to look at, you know, works of the flesh and things of the carnal nature. But not as heavy as it is in chapter 5, 6, and 7. We already discussed some very heavy topics. And that's what truth does. That's what truth does. Now, in chapter 8, verse 1. now concerning things offered to idols now it's very important to remember that corinth was a commercial hub it was corinth was like the boom town it was uh you know you'd think of like a, a, a metropolis it was a port city think of a, some type of like a city environment the commercial hub you know the merchant selling uh, people buying and selling, and it's also in those metropolis areas. It's also a hub for many other things, just like you see in you know a, a metropolis of uh, of our day. The commercial hub for all kinds of different things. You might have <clears throat> in a city. You might have a Chinatown, and in a Chinatown, it's not just like one Chinese restaurant. You know, you have like several Chinese restaurants, sev- several Chinese shops. You know, several uh, Chinese-oriented streets. Sometimes it's had multiple businesses in an area. Sometimes city blocks. And it's Chinatown. But then you might get into another district where it is like um, uh, 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 Hispanic. And then you have like, wow, all these Mexican restaurants, all these different... You know, uh, 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 Mexican shops and all kinds of different things. And then you get to another area and then you might have a district that's predominantly Italian. You know, the Italian restaurants and, you know, these are, these are very commonplace in metropolis areas. And so the reason why I bring this up is because in Corinth, they had a whole bunch of different gods. A whole bunch of different temples to other gods. Aphrodite, Neptune, Diana... All kinds of different, a lot of sex gods, a lot of, you know, fertility gods and goddesses. And they would worship these gods. And with these fertility gods, there was a lot of sex, a lot of prostitution. And a lot of these prostitutes, they were priestesses of their gods. They were priestesses of their gods. And so, like, you know, you'd see, like, a a, a temple... For that worship, you'd see the priestesses there, and they were prostitutes. And in worship, there would be like sexual activity with those so-called priestesses in accordance with that belief system, people worshiping their other gods. It's not unlike when Paul went to Athens. You remember when Paul was in Athens, and he sees all these all these markers, all these statues, all these different things, oh, the God of this, the God of that, the God of that, and then he sees one that says, to the unknown God. And so when Paul gets into uh, Areopagus, he gets to Mars Hill. And in Mars Hill, he preaches. He says, you know, I see all these things, but, you know, I, I saw one that said to the, to the unknown God. It says, him, I preach to you. To you, he's unknown, but I'm going to make him known to you. And he would teach to multitudes, the wise people in Areopagus. But then what happened, you know, they started to laugh at him. When he started to speak about the resurrection, they started to laugh at him. And he walks away, but there were several people that says, Hey, Paul, tell us more. Christians, people became Christians right there. They received Jesus Christ. Not the multitude, just a little bit, you know, a couple. Male and female. Sometimes, you know, you read Acts 2 and you think like, Wow, you know, I'm going to cast this huge net and I want to catch like a million people for Christ. Now, the motives are pure if you want to save souls but then understand, you know, it's the Lord that brings increase. You could have a big net and cast multitudes and multitudes of people. You know, if the Lord uses you that, some people have the gift of evangelism. But then don't forget Philip, too, who just was had a fishing pole with the Ethiopian. One fishing pole. You see, don't forget. And, and Paul, you know, he like Peter cast this huge net and the Lord used him mightily as an evangelist in in teaching the gospel and many were saved, thousands, thousands, multiple thousands. But then Paul on Mars Hill, you think like Paul wasn't as effective as Peter. Well, it's the Lord who brings the increase. Peter was effective. uh, Paul was effective and not to exalt them. Remember, they plant or they water. Just as brother Paul wrote to us and in this environment of this commercial hub you have all these different gods all these different idols and at the same time you have a little church a people of the way in this metropolis of corinth now you see why the the world was becoming uh, entering the church when you see what paul writes about all the sex that was happening in the church all the the sexual activity, these things of the carnal nature. Well, wait a second. That looks like the world. That reminds me of Corinth, and Corinth is coming into the church, and that's why you know you hear me say that you know it's dangerous to be a baby. It's dangerous to be a baby. Now, if you're a brand and I'm talking about in Christ, a baby in Christ. Now, if you're a brand new believer, praise be to the Lord. I love you. You're my brother. You're my sister. Welcome to the family. <laughs> if you're a brand new believer, now. If you're a milk drinker and you've been a Christian for five years, ten years, that is not good, my friend. You need to grow. You need to move on to perfection. You need to. I've talked to believers before. Their brothers, their sisters, they've told me, oh, we go to this fellowship because it's where all the misfits go. And I'm like, misfits? Christian misfits? Oh, tell me about that. What is that? Say, well, we cuss, we do this, we go. It's like, whoa, 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 wait a second. You know, are, you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes. You obey him? You obey his word? Well, as much as I can. Well, what else is going on in your life? Well, I do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, and it starts talking about things of the flesh. At that point, it's kind of like a Corinth situation where you say, yes, you believe in Jesus Christ. That is good. You do well. But then at the same time, where is obedience? then you see the dangers that happen of being a baby very common very commonplace. you know why because pastors don't want to teach they like to be called teacher but they don't like to teach elders they like to be called elder but they don't like to teach they don't like to hurt people's feelings and i'm not trying to say you have to you know like hurting people's feelings but when you teach the word of god you will hurt people's feelings you know why because the bible will hurt your feelings I've been walking with the Lord for 25 years now. And the word of God still hurts my, my little feelers. Still. Why? Because he's changing me. The same way he changes you. You just have to let him. You just have to yield to him. We have to yield to him. And so when you see the, what Corinth is like, you know, culturally speaking, You see what Corinth is like, then it's easy to understand why the church in their state of childhood, in their state of arrested development, why they were unable, unable to fight, unable to stand. Because what was happening is that things were coming into the church, which shouldn't have come into the church. Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? You see, why didn't they say anything? Why didn't they correct the brothers? Why didn't they correct the sisters? Why was there nobody except those in the household of Chloe? He says this in verse 1, Now concerning the things offered to idols, which there were many in Corinth, he says, we know that we all have knowledge. We all have knowledge, he says, but there's limitations to knowledge. There's limitations to knowing. And that's what we're going to talk about today. There are limitations. Remember, limitations to knowledge. Understand that knowledge is good. Knowledge is a beautiful, beautiful gift. Beautiful gift of the Lord. But it is not the greatest gift. is what we're going to study in a couple more weeks. It is not the greatest gift. Now, knowledge is a tool. Knowledge is a gift of the Lord. Knowledge is a tool. I've told you before the, the conversation I had with a guy who wanted to be a pastor and he's given he had given sermons before. And we had about a three and a half hour conversation I just like four hour, but it's more like three hours, 40 minutes, three and a half hour conversation. And he was telling me all these things. We were talking about the Bible. And finally, after about the three and a half hour mark, maybe a three- hour and 40-minute mark, we were having this conversation. And I just said to him, "Listen, l- listen." I said, "Look, you, you, the God that you're presenting, I said, "That's idolatry because the God that you're presenting is not the God of the Bible. That's what's happening. The God you're presenting is not the God of the Bible. Then he smirks at me, has a little smile on his face. And he says, you know what? I'm the guy the Bible warns you about. Now, truth and knowledge of the truth, it will help you identify wolves. There's a lot of value in knowledge. I'm not discrediting knowledge. Knowledge is beautiful. Knowledge is important. Knowledge is necessary. Because don't forget, my people perish for lack of knowledge. That's what the Lord says in Hosea. My people perish for lack of knowledge. So lack of knowledge, you know, Old Testament, New Testament, you can die. Lack of knowledge can equate to death. If we let it. That's why milk is dangerous. Milk is beautiful, but it's also dangerous. Milk is beautiful when it's taken for a short period of time. And then you move on to solid foods. And then you move on to the spiritual pork chops. And then you have knowledge. But knowledge, as beautiful as it is, as as great as a gift it is, it is not the greatest gift. Because we see here in verse 1, knowledge puffs up. Knowledge makes proud and haughty, but love edifies. Agape love. But love here edifies, which is building up, which is to construct. It's like construction. This agape love, it's sacrificial love. But then when he, say, when he says there that love edifies, this love that edifies, it's like a construction site. So, like, say you have this big field, this big, enormous field. And maybe there's trees there. And then, you know, one day the bulldozers come in. They take take down some trees. Or maybe they don't take, maybe they leave trees. But they just, like, you know, clear the ground around it. Then they another truck's come in. They start digging big holes and then another day, these concrete trucks start coming in. They start laying foundation. And then another day, the framers come in. They start putting the frames up on the foundation. And then the framers, they can do the, uh, <clears throat> the roofing and then the, the, the siding. And then after the siding, you know, now that, now that the outside is kind of relatively done, then you have the people who go inside. You have the plumbers. You have the electricians and then you have the drywall people then you have the carpenters the people who do the flooring tile work then you have people come in and install doors you know all the you know maybe the 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 uh, 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 they do tile in 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 the kitchen whatever they do then you bring in the appliances you know then all kinds of different things happen it's like a, a process the doors the door handles all this and then the windows you know, the heater comes in. All these things have to happen. And that's construction. That's construction. So as much as you hear me talk about moving up, like first grade, second, third, fourth, and moving, uh, matriculating through grades, and you know, like elementary school, middle school, high school, uh, uh, university. Understand, too, that this process of growth can be equated to this process of edification, like the building. Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone, but the Holy Spirit building more and more and more and more. That's the process of edification. I say process, but it's holy. I say process so that you and me, we can understand, but it's holy. It's not like a process, like, you know, you know systematically doing this, systematically doing that. It's holy. The Holy Spirit does it. You have to yield to Him. I have to yield to Him. And knowledge is beautiful. Knowledge is good. But there are limitations to knowledge. And that's what we're going to discuss today in verse 2. And if anyone thinks or supposes that he knows anything, he knows nothing. He knows nothing, he says, yet as he ought to know, or not even yet as he ought to know. He knows nothing, not even yet is how it translates. As he ought to know. Sometimes knowledge needs to take a back seat. Sometimes knowledge needs to take a back seat. And we're going to understand why in a, couple, in a little bit. Keep that in mind. Knowledge needs to take a backseat. Sometimes. Not all the times. I mean, when you're identifying wolves and you're even killing wolves, metaphysically speaking, supernaturally speaking, when you're killing wolves, which is a requirement of a pastor, a requirement of an elder, killing wolves, knowledge is a great tool. But understand that knowledge has its limitations. Not for the wolves. I mean, for the wolves, kill them. Spiritually speaking. But when it comes to sheep, when it comes to lambs, sometimes knowledge needs to take a back seat. Because look what happens here in verse 3. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Now, there's reciprocity to intimacy with the Lord. And I say reciprocity, but like a spiritual symbiosis. But... You know, I don't like these the words of definition when it comes to the relationship with the Lord because it's relationship. I mean, have you ever seen married couples? They read these books, you know, how to be a good husband, how to be a good wife. And they, they in their marriage, they like they they like follow rules. I mean, I don't want to say rules are bad, but, you know, they, they just, okay, the book says I got to do this. So I'm going to do this. The book says I got to, this, <clears throat> this author says I got to do this. This author says I got to behave like this. And then they do it. Or magazines, you know. You ever talk, you know, sometimes, you know, you're at the doctor's office. You're sitting in the chair. You strike up a conversation with the guy next to you, the lady next to you. And they're, like, trying to give you all this advice, this advice, you know. And you say, where would you get that? And oh, I got it from this magazine right here. What? I marital advice from a magazine. You know, relationship advice from a magazine. Just be in a relationship, you know. I don't mean, I'm not just saying, you know, frivolously enter a relationship. Remember, we talked about that last week where when you're in a marriage relationship, the truth helps you because you weed out the riffraff. Yes, riffraff. Oh, I don't like how you say riffraff. That hurts my feelings. No, riffraff. The Word of God and the truth and knowledge, it helps you weed out the riffraff. Yes, there are riffraff guys. There are riffraff girls. Riffraff. And I, I, I say that as former riffraff but that's what truth does that's what knowledge does see in 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 so knowledge is a beautiful beautiful gift but it's not the greatest in verse 3 if anyone loves god this one is known by him so you see that relationship not like a how to manual you know i got to do this i got to do this do this. and you can tell you can see it Married couples, so it's like, well, you know, I see that you're married, but eh, it's it's not it's it's different, you know you see you know when a husband and wife like like each other, you know, and they're in love, you can tell you see like, wow, this is like beautiful, but then when a husband and wife they're just like you know following their rule books, you can also tell you know, and it's sad it kind of it, it hurts I don't say this a lot, but it hurts me. Because I don't like to see that. It's like a, a couple is missing out. married couple. A couple is missing out. And then that couple, they, it's like they have that relationship. They move on to perfection. They start to mature. And then in just like chapter 7, verse 29, from now on, even those who have why should be as if they had none. Because we're all about the Father's business. That's what happens with maturity. Growing in Christ. Matriculating in Christ. You see? Then you start to care about Souls. Not to say that you don't care about souls, because there's all kinds of different ministries and serving in those capacities. But that's the difference with relationship. And see how beautiful this is, how the Lord teaches us and shows us these things? And you know, and talk about a, a worldly relationship, a carnal relationship. But what about our heavenly relationship? If anyone loves God, this one is known by him. Now, since that's the case, look at verse 4. Therefore, concerning eating, concerning the eating of things offered to idols, remember, we're in Corinth now. Idolatry is everywhere, every street corner, all these different gods, priestesses all over the place, prostitutes who are priestesses. You have sex with the priestesses, and it's like worshiping of those gods. I don't say you, but I mean, that's what, that was happening in Corinth. It was a metropolis, it was a hub, and everything was like, wow, this is a crazy town. This is like wild. But it's the world. It's the world. Remember, Paul says in chapter 5. He says in chapter 5 verse 9. I wrote to you in my epistle not to keep company with sexually immoral people. Yet I certainly did not mean of the sexually immoral people of this world. Or with the covetous or extortioners or adulterers. Since then you would need to go out of this world. He's talking about inside the church. Christians. When that that enters the church, when it comes into the church, that's not good. But the world is the world. Corinth is Corinth. You see, we understand that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. In the world, but we're not of the world. We're just sojourners. And so... In, in 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 understanding in verse four in chapter eight verse four therefore concerning the things the, the eating of things offered to idols now there are also business people remember like Corinth is a hub and so you have these business people uh, manufacturers craftsmen who would make you know iron workers metal workers woodsmen w- woodworkers who would make. Idols for Diana, idols for Neptune, idols for Aphrodite. That's what they would do. They would fashion. So you have that part of this commercial hub is in service of the, you know, they would would be the supply side of the demand for Aphrodite, the supply side of the demand for Neptune and Diana and all these different sex gods and all these different gods of of, of fertility and the, the priestesses. They would be the supply side. And so they have these business people. Just like we see in Acts 19 in Ephesus, how the the tradespeople got mad at the Christians. There was a great commotion about the people of the way because there was spiritual revival and they were going out of business. And that's what happens with real revival. Real revival of the real Holy Spirit, not the foe. F-E-A-U-X, not the foe, not the fake. Not when, you know, people put glitter in the rafters and then, you know, they hit a button and the glitter falls down. and They say, oh, look, we're having a revival. The Holy Spirit is falling down. That's what happens in big churches, big congregations. Because they put on a show. And people buy it hook, line, and sinker. You know what happens with real revival? Real revival of the real Holy Spirit. The stripper's. The strip clubs, they go out of business. The strippers stop stripping. The bars start to close. The drug dealers, they have to move away because nobody's buying their product. All these dirty businesses, they just go out of business because there's no demand. That's what happens when there's real revival. And it has happened. I teach from America and it has happened in America I mean, arguably, I could say the real, like, one of the last times was in, like, the 60s. The Jesus people movement. That was one of the last times. But this, you know, when you see what's coming out of, like, uh, Pensacola. That's that's not even, you know, holy laughter. That's not revival. That's the faux. That's the fake. Pseudo. But you look at the Jesus people movement. And, you know, it, It's debatable, but I would say, arguably, that's probably one of the last movings of the Holy Spirit. Not I'm sorry, the last moving of the Holy Spirit, but the last, the most recent revival. People say, oh, there's going to be revival in the last days. I don't really, I don't see that. I don't see that. I see just the opposite. Persecution of the saints. As the world gets worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. Yes, Christians are going to shine brighter. Not just Christians, the remnant. The remnant is going to shine brighter and brighter and brighter and brighter. Except the world will not tolerate the church. Christians, people of the way. The world will not tolerate. And the Antichrist is going to kill Christians. And being cheered on by the world because we're a people who are intolerant, they say. Not understanding that we love them, not understanding that we want them to be born again, so that you know Jesus Christ he came to uh, to free now if you're not a believer and you're listening, understand that God loves you God loves you he wants relationship with you oneness with you and if you believe, hit pause and listen to the message how to how to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and you repent. And you put aside those things which hinder you, which so easily uh, enslave you, which shackle you. Put aside those things. And Jesus will rescue you. And then you're born again. And then you join us in moving on to perfection. And we walk together. We walk together all the way to paradise. You see? Very important because these days are getting evil. But as, as much as we look at the evil in Corinth, understand that there's this growing church there. This growing church. Probably smaller than, you know, the previous chapters. Because, you know, when, when Paul starts to bring up these heavy subject matter, imagine the people who would leave. Imagine the people who would just get up and leave because maybe they were sexually immoral. Maybe they were drunkards, idolaters, revilers. And they were being purged out because they were leaven. You see, so this church that we, that we see in chapter 8, it's not the same church that we see in chapter 5, because now they know. And now they know, and maybe it's a smaller congregation, maybe it's a smaller fellowship. I happen to think that it is, because remember when we looked at John 6, and we counted the, the numbers in John 6, how thousands and thousands and thousands of people became hundreds, became twelve. And so Paul is teaching the church. Paul is teaching this group of Christians, probably a smaller group than chapter 4. Because chapter 4 was like before he hit on some very heavy subject matter. Concerning the things, uh, eating of the things offered to idols, we know. Probably a smaller church, we know. Now, if it is a smaller church, then there are the people, like when he says we know, then it's easily understandable. Okay, like the people who didn't know they're gone now the extortioners the revilers the sexually immoral uh, the guy who's having sex with his dad's wife you know they're gone and i don't mean to say that like you know joyfully and boastfully like wow they're gone you know but it's with a lot of sadness and sorrow you see and then we're going to start when we get into future chapters when we actually uh, 2 Corinthians It's not just like, they're gone, you know, forget about them. You know, it's to say, okay, bring this brother back in, bring this sister back in, bring them back. So it's like, to understand that the church, the Christians, the saints, you, you, we're holy, a holy people. A consecrated people. A people set apart. Set apart by whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. For whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. In whom? The Lord Jesus Christ. You see? Then when you start to put things in perspective, you understand like, wait a second. Why am I doing this? Why am I doing that? You know, if Jesus Christ is in me, you know, does Christ have fellowship with whatever this is happening? Whatever this is doing? Does Christ have fellowship with that? These are the ways of the mature, and moving on to perfection, you have to grapple with these things, these truths, and I don't say grapple with them like in a you know grappling sense, I say grapple them with like you know you have to meditate on these things, whatever is true, noble, just, pure, lovely, of good report, virtuous, and praiseworthy. And when you meditate on these things, they're going to bring you into a situation where you're going to make choices that honor the Lord. Or you can love darkness more than the light. Don't do that. Don't do that. And every day is a learning experience. We learn to die. You see? Carrying our cross. see? And so look what happens here. We know that an idol is nothing in the world. And that there is no other God but one. These are things that we know. A people of the way. We know these things. You and me. We know these things. The idol is nothing. There is no other God but one. We know this. In verse 5, For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us, that's you and me, that's Christians. That's Christians. Saints. Yet for us, there is one God. We know these things. Now, I have to say this too. Now, remember the gods of Egypt? Remember the gods of Egypt? They had wise men in Egypt, and the wise men performed miracles too. The Lord performed miracles, and so did the wise men of Egypt in accordance to their gods that they worshipped. Turn with me really quick to Exodus chapter 7. Exodus chapter 7. And in Exodus 7, look what happens here in verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you saying, Show a miracle for yourselves. Then you shall say to Aaron, Take your rod and cast it before Pharaoh and let it become a serpent. So Moses and Aaron went into Pharaoh and they did so just as the Lord commanded. And Aaron cast down his rod before Pharaoh and before his servants. And it became a serpent. Everything just as the Lord said. And we just talked about Aaron's rod the other day on a Wednesday. Remember Aaron's rod that just blossomed? And the Lord says, this is, this is the man whom I'm choosing. So here you see Aaron's rod, but much before, long before that, what we study in Numbers. And in verse 11, but Pharaoh also called Pharaoh. So the Lord performed this miracle. The rod became a serpent. In 11, verse 11, but Pharaoh also called the wise men and the sorcerers, which are the, the witches and the magicians. This is what Pharaoh called. So the magicians of Egypt they also did you see they also did in like manner with their enchantments so signs and miracles they happen signs and miracles these sorcerers and witches and magicians they performed miracles and what were the miracles he says you know they also did in like manner with their enchantments in verse 12 for every man threw down his rod And they became serpents, you see. But Aaron's rod swallowed up their rods. So the Lord made the rod a serpent. And in accordance with their gods of Egypt that they worshipped. Not Moses and Aaron. Moses and Aaron were of the Lord. But in accordance with these other gods, the sorcerers, the magicians, their wise men, they did the same thing. Signs and wonders. Signs and miracles. Understand that. Whenever you see signs and miracles, I mean, people fake it too, you know. They they, they fake signs and miracles. But when you see signs and miracles, what's the source? You have to be wise. You have to test the spirits. Remember, Satan presents presents himself as an angel of light. You have to be wise. You know, things of the demonic realm, other religions, other belief systems. They have miracles. They perform miracles, signs and wonders. The false prophet, the Antichrist is the Antichrist, but don't forget that he has a false prophet. And the false prophet will draw fire down from heaven. The Lord will will allow that to happen. The false prophet will draw fire down from heaven. Can you imagine what the world will say when they see this world figure and fire comes down from heaven. Can you imagine what the world will say of this guy? Look how powerful he is. Who else can, who can draw fire down from heaven? Look at the signs he performs and he speaks about peace. He speaks about equality. Oh yeah, he wants us to take this mark system. He wants us to put a mark on our hand and our forehead. I'm going to do it because it's in the name of equality. It's in the name of Peace. And you're the one who says, no, I'm not taking that mark. Who says, no, this guy is evil. You say he's good, but he is evil. The world will hate you. The world is good. It hates you now. But the world will hate you even more. While you love them. While you love their soul. You don't like the works of the flesh. You don't like the sin. You don't love the sin. But the person, the soul, you're in love with that soul. And you yearn for that soul. You long for that soul to come to Christ. You know what that's called? Long-suffering. Just as the heart of our Lord. So these signs and wonders, they happen. You have to understand the source. You have to know the source. Because signs and miracles happen. Now, what's happening here? The Lord is making Himself known in Egypt. We know what happens to Egypt the might of Egypt, the chariots of Pharaoh. We know what happens. Judgment. But always precursory to judgment, the Lord makes himself known and allows the people to make a choice. Grace and mercy. There's always, it's not just flat out judgment. No, there's always a period of grace and mercy. Always. 100% of the time in the Bible. Always. Here, we're looking at those those uh, a, a, a form of that. Now, it's very close to judgment and wrath is coming. But don't forget, Egypt was saved by Joseph. You see, Egypt was saved by Joseph during the famine and the Lord helped them. The Lord saved them. That's the grace and mercy. And as the Lord becomes forgotten in Egypt, look what happens now. In chapter 8, still in Exodus. Exodus. We're going to be in Exodus for a little bit. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 5. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers and over the ponds. And then cause frogs to come up uh, on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt and the frogs came up and covered the, lands, the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. They did the exact same thing, you see. Whoa, signs and wonders, signs and wonders. In accordance with the gods of Egypt. Wow, are the gods of Egypt the same as the Lord? No way. No way. Seemingly, with carnal eyes, it looks that way. But with spiritual eyes? With eyes of faith? No way. Look at, it's still in chapter 8 of Exodus. Look at verse 16. So the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the land so that it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt. And they did so. For Aaron stretched out his hand with his rod and struck the dust of the earth, and it became lice on man and beast. All the dust of the land became lice throughout all the, all the land of Egypt. Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice, but they could not. You see, they could not. So there were lice on man and beast. You see, they could not. They could, in accordance to their enchantments and their worship of the gods of Egypt, they Could make the rod a serpent, like we saw in chapter 7. They could make the rod a serpent, they could make frogs come up on the land, but when it came to lice, no, they couldn't. In Exodus chapter 8, verse 19, then the magician said to Pharaoh, This is the finger of God, this is the finger of God. You see, they acknowledge the Lord. Wow, you know. Our gods of Egypt, they can't do this. The God of Abraham, the God of uh, 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 Moses and Aaron, he is Lord. He is above our gods of Egypt. You see, acknowledgement of the Lord, acknowledgement of the Most High. But Pharaoh's heart grew hard and he did not heed them just as the Lord had said. And so, so understand that the Pharaoh hardened his heart, he hardens his heart, he hardens his heart, and then judgment, the Lord hardened his heart. Just like we see in Romans 1. God gave them over. God gave them over. God gave them over. One of the saddest parts in the Bible. God gave them over. Romans chapter 1. We just studied that. In chapter 9, still in Exodus, at chapter 9, verse 8. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, "Take for yourselves handfuls of ashes and from a furnace, and let Moses scatter, toward the, scatter it toward the heavens in the sight of Pharaoh. And it will become fine dust in all the land of Egypt, and it will cause boils that break out in, in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt." Then they took ashes from the furnace and stood before Pharaoh, and Moses scattered them toward heaven, and they and they caused boils that break out on sores in sores on man and beast, and the magicians. Could not stand before Moses because of the boils. For the boils were on the magicians' hands, on the on the magicians, and on all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he did not heed them, just as the Lord had spoken to Moses. You see, in verse eleven, the magicians could not stand before they could stand. Before they could stand, before they could make the make the serpents, before they could do the frogs, they couldn't do the lice. They acknowledged the Lord. Now these magicians, they could not stand before Moses. The Lord is making himself known in Egypt. Yes, there's these gods of Egypt, but they're not the most high. They are not the most high. Yes, there's these gods of Egypt, but they're not the Almighty. Still in Exodus 9, look at verse 20. He who feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his livestock flee to the houses. But he who did not regard the word of the Lord left his servants, in the lives, left his servants and his livestock in the field. Now, what's happening here is that there's a, a, a hail that's coming down on the land. And Moses, the Lord tells Moses to warn Pharaoh. Moses does just that. And those of the servants of Pharaoh who feared the Lord, they you know, they called home. Called their wives, called their kids, called their servants, and said, "Hey, you know, stay indoors, stay indoors. All the animals outside, bring them, bring them inside. Don't leave, leave them outside because they fear the Lord." Then they call home. Okay, you got it? Yeah, I got it. Okay, hang up and go back to Pharaoh. But then there were ones who were still on the side of Pharaoh, who's oh, you know, I don't fear the Lord. And what happened? The hail came. Their family, their friends, their flock died. Death. From the hail. You see, the Lord makes Himself known. And even in Egypt, even in Pharaoh's inner circle, there were some who feared the Lord. Not all of them, but some of them. Now, in chapter 10, verse 7, chapter 10, verse 7, still in Exodus. Then Pharaoh's servants said to him, How long shall this man be a snare to us? How long shall Moses be a snare to us? Let the men go, that they may serve the Lord their God. Do you not yet know that Egypt is destroyed? See, the Lord is making himself known. You look at, like in Exodus 7. Who is the Lord? In Exodus 7, who is the Lord? Because how the Lord makes himself known? I mean, He was there all along. It just so happens that he makes himself known. And he turns the rod into a serpent. But the gods of Egypt could do the same. The magicians, the the, the wise men, the sorcerers, the witches, they could do the same thing in accordance with their gods of Egypt. They could perform the same thing. So the Lord makes himself known. Okay, the, the gods of Egypt could do the same thing. The Lord does the frogs. The gods of Egypt could do the same thing. The lice? Whoa, gods of Egypt can't do the lice. On all the land? Gods of Egypt can't do that. Now you have the sorcerers, the witches, the wise men. They can't stand before Moses. They acknowledge the Lord. Then you have the servants of Pharaoh. Some of them fear the Lord. They don't don't they don't fear the gods of Egypt anymore. They fear the Lord. And they call home hey get indoors bring the animals inside they feared the lord and the servants here pharaoh let them let them go that they may serve their god let them go egypt is destroyed now what they thought what egypt being destroyed more was coming because pharaoh's heart was hardened egypt was really destroyed the might of egypt was really destroyed Now, let's go back to our study. I mean, we're in our study, but let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 5, I'll read it again. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, one God, the Father, of whom are all things, and we for Him, and one Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of the Most High through whom are all things, and through whom we live. You see the magnitude of who He is? Through whom we live? God and Christ in proper perspective. Woe that we bow down and worship Him. Holy is His name. You see? Proper perspective. And when you have this proper perspective, sometimes it's very sobering, sometimes it's very scary, and then you have to Repent. The more carnal you are, the right perspective of the Lord, it's scary. Because it's like, whoa, you know. He doesn't like disobedience. He doesn't like this. He doesn't like that. And he deals with it. You see? But then when you repent and you're right with the Lord, it's... It's beautiful. It, it becomes beautiful to you because you have obedience. Like, I'll give you an example. <clears throat> 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, which I've read at great length, but I'm not going to stop. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral. Look at this checklist. Sexually immoral, covetous, an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or extortioner. An extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. You look at that checklist. You might have one checkmark that's yours. 25 years ago, 22 years ago, 23, 24 years ago. I was every single one of those checkmarks. Every single one of those checkmarks. And I hated it. I hated it. I felt it. I felt like I was on fire. Like there was, like I was burning. I felt like, and I didn't like anybody talking about it. I didn't like anybody teaching on it. And, you know, my pastor in California, he taught on it. (laughs) And praise be to the Lord that he did. Because I did feel the flames. I did feel the fire. And it terrified me. Terrified me. But praise be to the Lord because you know what happened? In my state of terror, and knowing this, and when I knew that at the time, in my state of terror, you know what happened? I repented. I repented and changed my ways. And in changing my ways, and there were some other things that happened. I mean, the Lord really messed, I said he changed my ways, but, you know, the Lord messed me up. <laughs> and praise be to his name, because that's what I needed. That's what I needed. I was terrified. So many times people say, you know, don't talk about hell. When you share Jesus Christ, don't talk about hell. You don't want to scare people into heaven. What? That Hell is scary. Weeping and gnashing of teeth? That's scary. I don't want to go there. I don't want anybody to go there. I don't care how bad their sin is. I don't want anybody to go where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't care. Sexual sin, drugs, crack, alcohol, you know, homosexuality, sexual sin... H- homosexual sin, heterosexual sin, I don't care. I don't want anybody to go to hell. People say, don't talk about hell. You're going to scare people. It's not good to scare people into heaven. Worked wonders for me. Worked wonders for me. Here we are. And it just blows me away so much because it's like a snowflake generation. Generation. You know, the, oh, the, the snowflake generation of which, you know, the, in the, there's a, 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 a higher uh, concentration of the snowflakes among the younger generation. But now, you know, it's getting into the older generation because there's a bunch of lemmings. It's common. I get it. I understand. It's the ways of the world in accordance with the Antichrist spirit. And it's going to get worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. And then once the world is ready, boom. Antichrist on the scene, boom, false prophet on the scene, and the worship the world will worship him, the world will love him. And when the and the false prophet says, "Take the mark of the beast on your right hand or forehead," boom, they're gonna take it. And there's pastors today, pastors, so-called pastors. I don't call, I don't acknowledge them. I say pastors because they're known as pastors. They say it's okay to take the mark of the beast, and you'll still be saved. That's what they say. If you want to know more about that. After this message, listen to the message, do not take the mark of the beast. You're going to have to scroll and look for it. But scroll and listen to the message, do not take the mark of the beast. I don't care what any guy tells you. I don't care what any man tells you. I don't care what any so-called pastor tells you. I don't care if they have their own study Bibles, if they're New York Times bestsellers. I don't care. You know what they do in New, New York Times bestsellers? It's fraud. It's all fraud. It's all rotten fraud. They buy their own books and then they give them out such a... It's, it's an operation. I don't care. Do not take the mark of the beast no matter what. Even if it costs you your head. Do not take the mark of the beast. That's what's so beautiful about the truth. Because when you're confronted with truth, you have a choice to make. Do you yield to the Lord? Do you yield to His Spirit? Do you yield to His Word? Or do you not? I pray that we, I say you, but we, we're in the same boat. As a people of the way, I pray that we continue to yield to the Word, yield to the Spirit, and yield to the Lord. Let's go back to chapter 8. In chapter 8, Having this beautiful, beautiful perspective of the Lord and who He is. The good, the bad, the ugly. The good, the bad, the ugly. You say, "Why?" Well, you know, sometimes people say, I don't like how you say there's good, the bad, the ugly, because the Bible is all good. Well, there's bad and ugly. Look at the, a guy having sex with his dad's wife, and that, that's good? No, well, that's ugly. That's bad, and it's ugly. And there's more. That's just one of many. Look at what we studied in Numbers. The good, the bad, the ugly. Korah. You see? Good, the bad, the ugly. Oh, don't scare people to heaven. You can't scare people to Jesus Christ. It worked wonders for me. Don't forget, the woman at the well, Jesus Christ talked about living waters. Living water. Not living waters. Living water. Speaking of himself. And the woman at the well says, Oh, yes, I want this. And he says, This is the water I get. You know, it's me. And she believed, she received. Now, to her, he gave living water. To her, he spoke about living water. Very, It's more pal- palatable to, to hear about living water. I get that. I understand. But to others, he straight up spoke about hellfire damnation, Sodom and Gomorrah, destruction, the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Which, for me, that got my attention way better than living water. I love the living water, but I had to learn what living water was. What really got my attention was the hellfire damnation. That's what what really... So, you know, if you're in a mindset that says, oh, don't scare people to to hell. Don't Don't scare people to heaven and tell them about hell. Don't talk about hellfire damnation. You know, do you want people to be saved? Yes, I want people to be saved. Okay. Saved from what, my friend? Saved from what? Um, See? What do you want people to be saved from? Okay, hell. There you go. Bingo. Saved from hell. Why do you want to exclude that? Living water is beautiful. And some people, you know... If you're like talking with uh, like Jesus Christ spoke to the woman at the well, a female, a lot of females are very sensitive. They have sensitivities that men don't have, and with these sensitivities, you know, sometimes living water that's that's more beautiful than weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then you talk to a gruffer society, a gruffer people, sometimes. Hellfire damnation really gets their attention. And living water is beautiful. But in order to understand what living water is, sometimes it takes that initial jolt. So in in evangelization, understand that like when you go fishing, you can go fishing for a little minnow or you can go fishing for a whale. You're not going to use the same bait. You're not going to use the same rod. You're not going to use the same line. You're not going to use the same methods. You're still fishing. Both are fishing. One for minnows, one for whales. You see? Different. Different fish. You see? Different. So, you have to understand that. And so, yet for us, he says, or in verse um, 7, however, there is not in everyone that knowledge. Remember, the church is made up of babies. The church in Corinth is made up of babies. Remember that. Young people. Not just young people, but young in Christ. Babies in Christ. Milk drinkers. And these milk drinkers, they've been radically rocked. Radically, radically rocked. Shaken. And I don't say that in a bad sense, but I say that like, you know, like... Uh, uh, um. Look at the subject matter that we've been discussing for the past several weeks. Very difficult subject matter, difficult. But at the same time, think of what remains in Chapter Eight. Think of the, think of the Christians. Think of the church. Think of the saints that remain in Chapter Eight. Others might have just got up and left. Others might have you know been uh, ostracized because you know they're named a brother, but you know they're sexually immoral, covetous, reviler, drunkards, and You know, they were kind of like, okay, I can't hang out with you guys anymore. And some of them might have said, okay, I'm out of here. And some of them might have said, you know what? Yes, I'm a drunkard. Yes, I'm a reviler. Yes, I'm an extortioner. Yes, I'm sexually immoral, but I repent. Paul, you're right. Forgive me, Lord. They fall to their knees in repentance. Beautiful. Boom. For people to be right with the Lord. Old Testament and New New Testament. For people to be right with the Lord. understand in verse 7 knowledge is gained in time the milk drinkers they're not going to stay milk drinkers it's bad they you know it's not good to stay a milk drinker and you have a choice to stay a milk drinker or don't stay a milk drinker i say don't stay a milk drinker move on to perfection the bible says don't stay a milk drinker and paul says in verse 7 there is not in everyone that knowledge for some With consciousness of the idol, consciousness of the idol, remember, it's just like with this consciousness of the idol, it's like sentience regarding regarding the idol or an awareness of this idol. And with that knowledge and with that uh, awareness of the idol, Paul says, with consciousness of the idol until now, translates as even until now. Eat it as a thing offered to an idol. you see now we get into something a little deeper. Like we've already discussed the things of the flesh in chapter five, six and seven things that are car- like more carnally centric. but here it's a little deeper. it turns into spiritual. I mean, it's still spiritual in the previous chapters. It's still spiritual, ultimately spiritual. But sometimes the carnality has to be addressed in order to get to the spiritual. But here, we're starting to discuss the spiritual. You see, it's, it changes. That's what I was talking about, that little shift. Because inside the conscience of the person, what's happening? A person who says, I don't want anything to eat that is offered to idols. This idol, this this meat, it's offered because what happened in this hub of Corinth? So you have like a district. Say they have a district of that, just like you have Chinatown and you have the Italian district and the Mexican district in like a metropolis. Well, likewise in Corinth, you have these districts that were like Diana, districts that were Aphrodite, districts that were Neptune. And all all, all kinds of other gods. You have these districts, and in those districts, you might have, you know, the the, the the worksmiths, they had the, the woodmakers and the the, 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 the you know, people who would make the idols. But then you might have like a restaurateur, somebody who would sell food, you know, that where, you know, an, a, an animal was offered to Aphrodite, except he kept a portion and now he's selling it, selling his kebabs on the street corner. And a Christian, a person who's born again, maybe a baby, but moving on to perfection, I don't want anything to do with those kebabs because they're offered to Diana. I don't want those kebabs at all. Now, I have to say it's beautiful. It's beautiful. But understand that it still lacks maturity. And I don't say that to hurt anybody. I don't say that, but it still lacks maturity. Because we know, like verse 4, we know, it says, therefore concerning things, eating of things offered to idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world. And that there is no other God but one. These are things that we know. You and me, we know it. But not everybody has this knowledge. Not everybody has this knowledge. Sometimes people are, are, they still have in their conscience. They don't want anything to do with these idols. They want nothing to do with whatever it is. And it's there's beauty in that in terms of the innocence. But it still lacks maturity. But not to say that that's a bad thing. But it's the mature now. We have to be very, very, very careful. Very careful. Because remember, knowledge, this knowledge that we have, knowledge is a tool. Knowledge is a gift. But it's not the greatest gift. The greatest gift is love. Which we're going to talk about, study in a couple more weeks. The greatest gift is love. So what is Paul saying here? So, so you have, uh, for some, with consciousness of the idol until now, eat it as a thing offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Their conscience, which is the inner man or the inner woman, it's their temple, being weak or more feeble and without strength, is defiled because it's in their conscience. It's in their conscience. I don't want to eat these kebabs that are offered to Diana. That's what they say. It's offered to Diana. They're of Diana. It's not going to enter my mouth at all. It's not going to be in my belly at all. Get me out of here. I don't even like the smell of these kebabs because it's offered to Diana. I don't even like this. It's not bad. It's beautiful. But it lacks maturity. I mean, picture... A picture, like uh, a, a, a child who colors it, draws a picture for you, you know, picks up the crayons and draws a picture of an elephant for you. With You know, the sun, you know, the sun is over his head and draws a picture of an elephant. And you look at the picture, it's like, that doesn't even look like an elephant. That doesn't even look like the sun. Because you have, you know what an elephant looks like. You know what a what the sun looks like. And you look at the picture of it drawn by, you know, colored by this three-year-old. And you're like, that's no elephant. That's no son. What are you going to say? You're going to tell a three-year-old, oh, what? this is so stupid. You draw like this. You're not even a good, you can't draw like, you know, you can't draw like uh, uh, Michelangelo. You can't draw like this. No, you don't do that. That would be hurtful. That would bring pain to this child. You never do that. Why? Because he's a child. She's a child. You don't do that. You might point to the little blob that she says in an elephant, that he says in an elephant. Point to the blob. What is this? Oh, that's the eye. Oh, okay. What's this? That's the foot. Okay, what's this? That's the trunk. And what's this blob over here? That's the sun. Oh, I see it now. I see it. You know? It's beautiful. It's So when I talk, when I say that, you know, like if somebody has this mindset of like, you know, I, this, this kebab of Diana, it's not going to enter my mouth. It's beautiful. It lacks maturity. But it's beautiful. And in the course of time, this person is going to have knowledge, is going to gain knowledge. They have, no, they have knowledge now. But they're going to have even more knowledge. You see? We have to be careful. Those with knowledge, those who are mature, have to be very, very, very careful. Because you don't want to hurt. You don't want to hurt a younger person. You don't want to hurt a younger brother, a younger sister in Christ. You see, adults do it all the time with children. You know, a child says, you know, they're a child. A child says, oh, you, look, I did this. Look, I drew this. And then you see adults, that's no Michelangelo. That's not this. Do you know what you're doing to the child? Oh my goodness. Woe is you if that happens. Woe is me if that happens. That is not good. Because you hurt the child. You nullify something so beautiful and innocent in the child. It's not good. And the Lord doesn't like that. The Lord does not like that. He likes tender hearts. And you have a great, great, great concentration of tender hearts among little ones. And the Lord loves tender hearts. And for the person who comes and makes that heart hard, wow, the Lord does not like that. The Lord does not like that. Don't do that. If that's you, repent. Don't do that anymore. Cut it out. It's not good. That's the natural sense, the natural world, the natural uh, application. The spiritual, the same exact thing to a younger brother, to a younger sister. The beauty of innocence. It's not the mature who says, what are you talking about? You can eat these kebabs of Diana. No, because what's happening in their conscience? If they do that, their conscience being weak is defiled. Defiled. Don't forget that even in the Old Testament, the tabernacle, which we see now in our study in the book of Numbers. But eventually in our studies, we're going to see the tabernacle become the temple. Now you have, you know, uh, walls of, of, uh, you know, like uh, uh, curtains. But those are going to turn into, in the course of time, walls of stone. Walls of stone something that's more stable, something that's more solid, something that is firmly planted. That's growth. An Old Testament example of growth. The same example that we have for us to admonish us today in our growth. A weak conscience to a stronger conscience. A weak conscience to a strong conscience and clear conscience. And this weak conscience still has a clear conscience. A weak conscience who says, I don't want those kebabs of Diana. I don't want to eat those kebabs of Diana. That person still has a clear conscience. The mature person still has a clear conscience when that mature person doesn't, you know, mow over the conscience of that weaker person. Both have a clear conscience before the Lord. Look what happens here. But food does not commend us to God, for neither if we eat are we the better, nor if we do not eat are we the worse. So, which is it, Paul? What is it? Don't forget that we have immense, immense freedom in Christ. Great, great, great freedom in Christ. Remember what we looked at last week in chapter 7, verse 22? For he who is called in the Lord while a slave is the Lord's freedman. Likewise, he who is called while free is Christ's slave. Remember? Immense freedom in Christ. But don't forget you know, if you're called while a slave, you're the Lord's freedman. But if you're called while free, you're Christ's slave. And what does Christ's slave do? Has regard for the other brother, has regard for the other sister. Even when he is weak in their conscience or she is weak in her conscience. In verse 9 But beware lest somehow this liberty of yours. Remember, with knowledge comes liberty. With knowledge comes liberty. Remember, uh, uh, verse one. In verse one, knowledge puffs up, but it's love that edifies. With knowledge comes freedom, because you start to understand. Like, wait a second. You know, just like uh, verse four, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, but that there is, and that, and that there is no other god but one. These are things that we know. But in this knowledge of the Lord and who he is in comparison to other gods, other idols, just like as we looked at in Exodus, the gods of Egypt versus the God of the you know God, the Lord, the most high, the Almighty. It's no comparison. You get this? It, it you you it, it's nothing. It's it becomes nothing because it's 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 almost laughable. I mean, it is laughable. The gods of Egypt compared to the Lord? No way. But as the Lord made himself known, it took time for the people to acknowledge the Lord in Egypt. As the Lord made himself known. And the same happens today. Yes, the, the God of Buddha, the God of, uh, you know, Buddha, uh, uh, the Hare Krishna's, uh, 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 Mary. Miracles. They they can perform miracles. They can do wonders. You know, apparitions of Mary you hear for the Catholics. The apparitions of Mary. Is it holy in accordance with the word of God? No way. It's demonic. Demonic. It's Satan presenting himself as an angel of light. That's what it is. But you see, it's People don't have that knowledge. And so, like, in evangelizing and outreach to other religions, other faiths, you have to understand, you know, a person, like, that was one of the, you know, I say this as a former Catholic. That was a big, big, big stronghold in my life as a former Catholic. The denial of Mary as God. You know, the denial of Mary as a God. Because in accordance with Catholicism, What happens is you pray to Mary. Mary is the the go-between to Jesus Christ. Mary takes you to Jesus in accordance with Catholicism. A a, a person dies and they go into purgatory. This is in accordance with Catholicism. They go into purgatory. And when that soul is in purgatory, they're tortured in purgatory. And they're tortured in purgatory. And then those who are alive go to Catholic Mass. They light the candles. They go sit down. They pray. They pray the rosary. What they're doing is they're praying for their dead relatives. And they pray that Mary goes into purgatory, takes that soul that they're praying for and takes that soul and ushers him or her into heaven to Jesus Christ. None of that is found in the Bible. None of that. You see, it's, it's a false gospel. It's not even the gospel. People say, oh yeah, I'm Catholic, so I'm a Christian too. I'm sorry, Catholicism is not Christianity. You see? So these signs and wonders, you see, like, you know, the apparitions of Mary, it's all demonic. It's, it's meant to seduce. Even the false prophet is going to cause fire to come down from heaven. And the world's going to buy into that. That's why you have to love truth. You and me both, we have to love truth, we have to be lovers of truth, no matter what, no matter what lovers of truth you see, and so look what happens here, but beware lest somehow your this liberty of yours become a stumbling-block to those who are weak to those who are weak. remember. To those with knowledge, humility is required. Humility is required. You know, you don't want to be overbearing. You don't want to mow over the conscience the same way a parent might tell a kid. A kid says, hey, look, you know, I drew this elephant. And it just looks like a blob on a piece of paper. And then you laugh. You know, Oh, that's so stupid. That doesn't even look like an elephant. Do you know what you're doing to that child? You're hardening the heart of that child. That is not good in the eyes of the Lord. Because the Lord desires soft hearts. Let alone the children, you know. Let the children come to me, he says. He gives a great alternative to, you know, the, the, the millstone alternative. We have to be wise. We have to be very, very wise. And that same... Example, naturally speaking, in the natural realm, the same applies in the spiritual realm, too, to a younger brother, a younger sister, somebody who doesn't know. Spiritually innocent, a clear conscience before the Lord, but their conscience is weaker. They don't have that maturity. Does that mean that I can say, in this knowledge that I have, in this knowledge that you have, do we mow over the, the conscience, conscience of another person? No, that's not good. We don't do that. In verse 10, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in an idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? So say, for example, we're in a time machine. We go back in time. And then all of a sudden, we have knowledge, okay? We have knowledge. And then what happens? We go, oh, look at these kebabs. And it says look. we look at the, the top of the roof and it says, you know, Diana's kebabs, you know, it's offered to Diana, you know, made from the finest meats that were offered to Diana, the leftover meats that were offered to Diana. And we go and we start eating these kebabs. And you and me, we have all this knowledge. And then another brother or sister from Corinth comes, which baby Christians, young Christians, very, in, in you know, not young like, you know, 10 year old Christians, but Young in terms of their, their babies in Christ. they're their, their babes in Christ. Now they're moving on to perfection. But they're babes in Christ. And they come walking around the corner and they see you and me eating these kebabs. What? Will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? So you might look at it like it's a good thing. This person who is a baby is learning the more mature. Learning more mature. But wait a second. We have to make sure our motives are in the right spot. Do do we want this person to have knowledge because of our pride? Because of our arrogance? Because of our own puffery? Our own haughty nature? Or do we want this person to have knowledge for their walk with the Lord? Because sometimes people like knowledge because they can boast. Sometimes people like knowledge because they can put the plaques on the wall. Look, I have the this degree in this, this master's degree in this, this doctorate in that. They like to, you know, oh, yeah, I have this degree. They All their business cards, they put doctor this. They put their name Esquire. They do all these things. They like to, you know, they like the puffery. That's, that's the carnal nature. I get it. I completely understand. It's the ways of the world. what are the motives do i do, do we desire this person to have knowledge and grow and in growth are we taking like you know in, in in an academic environment are we taking a preschooler and enrolling that preschooler in you know 10th grade that's that's not good that's dangerous too because that that child yes you might look at a a a, a kindergartner We pick up and we play. We enroll in tenth grade. You may say, "Oh, look! We want them to know. We want them to know," but no, they have to go kindergarten, first, second, third. They have to grow. You know, it's it's part of growing. It's the natural world testifies of these things, and when this conscience of this weaker individual. When it's emboldened to eat things offered to idols, where does that emboldening stop? So you and me, because we have knowledge, we say, okay, we're going to eat these kebabs offered to Diana. No big deal. We eat it because we know, just like verse 4, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there's no other God but one. So we have this freedom. Okay, let's go ahead and we're going to eat these things. Eat these kebabs. And then another person's conscience, you know, the, the the young Christian, the baby Christian starts walking up the corner, sees us and says, oh, wow. You know, my conscience, I'm emboldened to eat those things, too. So they start eating kebabs. And then you and me, we go and we, you know, turn the corner, keep walking down. We're done with our lunch. We say goodbye to the guy. But now their conscience is emboldened. Now what are they going to do? Remember. We just put him in 10th grade. He hasn't gone to 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th. He doesn't have that prior knowledge. He doesn't have that base plate of knowledge. He just enrolled in 10th grade, a preschooler in 10th grade. Now that he's emboldened, what else is he going to do? He's going to say, oh, I have all this freedom in Christ. So, hmm, who's this lady over here? Who's this lady over here who says she's a, a priest of Diana? Oh, hello, lady. How are you? And then the lady starts to seduce him. Or the guy starts to seduce her sexually. Oh, we have all this immense freedom in Christ. You see? Verse 10, For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in the idol's temple, will not the conscience of him who is weak be emboldened to eat those things offered to idols? So verse 9 says, beware lest somehow this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to those who are weak. I'll give you another example. Where does this defilement stop? Another example, say there's a child. You have a, 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 an 18-year-old guy. No, let's say 20-year-old. No, let's say 21-year-old. And he plays rugby at the university. You know, for my European brothers and sisters. He plays rugby at the local university big, like, enormous guy, you know, just strong, and he, he goes and plays with his team, and you got all these big, strong, buff guys, and they're, like, athletes, and, you know, no padding. It's not like American football. No pads or anything. It's just like, wow, I mean, they're using, like, muscle on muscle on bone, and they're just bashing people's faces and bashing bodies, and it's for sport. But then say this 21-year-old guy has a 5-year-old brother, and the five year old brother says, hey brother, can I play with you? Can I join you? And he has his little rugby ball there. Yeah, he's old enough to carry the ball. And the little five year old brother, hey brother, can I join you? And then he says, sure, come on. And then the team the team they laugh at. Him. They're like, what why are you bringing this little pipsqueak on the field? And then the guy say, Oh well, you know, the, the brother, older brother says, Well, this is my kid brother, you know, his name is whatever, and you know, he's gonna join us, he's gonna play with us now what is required of all those you know 19 22 year old guys big strong guys thighs that are the size of tree trunks what is required of those guys they have to weaken themselves they have to weaken themselves in order to play with that 5 year old in order to play rugby with that 5 year old the mature ones the ones who have grown They're the ones who have to weaken themselves. Otherwise, that five-year-old, he's going to have broken bones and he'll probably die. I mean, imagine a tree trunk thigh, a tree trunk thigh that's attached to this knee, hitting this kid in the face. That's going to crack his skull and he's going to die. A little five-year-old, in his innocence, wants to play rugby with his older brother. But now he's dead because those who are mature... Says, all right, we're going to play with this five-year-old. We're going to, you know, we can easily win now. Yeah, they want to win. Nothing wrong with the desire to win. But you have to understand the playing field. You have to understand the players. It's the mature, the grown, who have to weaken themselves, who have to humble themselves. Yes, 20-year-old rugby player can do all kinds of things. But the five-year-old can't. Doesn't have the strength. Doesn't have the physical ability. And that five-year-old has to learn how to run. How to maneuver. How to jump. How to block. How to hit. How to take hits. How to pass. In order to win. The five-year-old wants to win. The 20-year-old wants to win. They both want to win. It's It's not a bad thing. It's beautiful. But it's the mature who have to humble themselves. Without that that five-year-old is going to be hurt. It's the exact same thing. To avoid serious injury. That's what knowledge does. It puffs up. It's like those rugby players. You see, you have to identify like who you're speaking to. You have to identify, you know, if you're among the mature, yes, you know, you could talk about deep spiritual things like... If I had a, 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 like we have Bible study, but I mean, if I had a Bible study with like, if I had like co-pastors and elders and Bible teachers, oh my goodness, we'd have deep Bible studies. Deep. And then, you know, say, hey, you know, next week you do the Bible study. Next week you do it, you know, like round robin, you know, round the table. Next week you do it. How is the Lord speaking to you? Next week you do it. That would be like an, a council of elders. Pastors, co-pastors, elders. A council of elders. But what's happening in the world today, you have a bunch of bunch of man pleaser pastors. Man pleaser elders, just like you have in Corinth before Paul wrote his letter. Look at the state of the church. Where were the pastors? Where were the elders? That's why I call them defunct pastors, defunct elders. Because where were they? Why did the church have to get this way? But those in the household of Chloe had to write a letter to Paul. They had to notify Paul. Paul, oh, there's some issues going on in Corinth. Praise the Lord for those in the household of Chloe. But understand that it's the mature who have to humble themselves. As much as we want the, the younger younger ones to grow up and mature, that's a beautiful desire. But they have to matriculate and grow in the Lord. You see, preschool, kindergarten, first grade, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, and on to perfection in their own personal walk with the Lord. You see, and say the that rugby example, say that you and me, we're the 20 year olds strapping, you know, we can run, we can do all kinds of things and we can win. Say that's you and me. And then your brother comes and my sister comes and they're five-year-olds. And they want to join. They want to play. Are we going to say, no, you can't play? No, they can play. And so you and me, we have to humble ourselves. And then the five-year-old says, oh, I'm going to bring my friends. So you have more five, maybe a four-year-old, maybe a six-year-old. And then the other friend, you know, your brother, sister, kid, brother, kid, sister, brings their friends. So you have like a couple 20-year-olds and then you have a couple like a whole bunch of five-year-olds. We still have to humble ourselves. In our maturity, we still have to humble ourselves. In this, yes, this knowledge, it's good. It's, knowledge is beautiful. But it's not the greatest gift. It's love. And in this sacrificial love, agape love, you know what happens? We say, okay, five year olds, come join us on the field. And we will have a blast. We will have a blast. Because, I mean, have you ever hung around five-year-olds? Oh, my goodness. It's like, whew. it's not heaven, but wow, it's close to it. So innocent, you know? So innocent. Soft hearts. I mean, you talk to, you talk to a 30-year-old about Jesus Christ and the heavenly things, things of the Lord. You talk to a 30-year-old, and then you talk to a five-year-old about the exact same things. Oh, my goodness. You can see the softness of hearts. You see the hard heart in a 30-year-old and you see the soft heart of a 5-year-old. It is so beautiful. It is so precious. It is so innocent. We play rugby and we're going to have all kinds of fun. And yes, we might be able to smash faces. You and me, we might be able to like just run and jump and take hits and hit back. But we humble ourselves and we don't do that with the 5-year-olds. The five year olds are gonna become six year olds, seven year olds, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. They're gonna grow. They're gonna mature. They're gonna get strong. They're gonna gain muscle. They're gonna learn how to jump. They're gonna learn how to maneuver. They're gonna learn how to, with agility, they're gonna have to learn. They're they're gonna learn to throw. They're gonna learn to hit and take hits. They're gonna learn. From the mature, and we're gonna play rugby. You see? And, you know, I say five-year-olds and 20-year-olds, but you know what's so cool about this example of this rugby match, this rugby game, teaching and learning and having a blast, just gobs and gobs and gobs of fun. The 80-year-olds can join too. The rugby players from yesteryear, they can join. And we're going to have a blast, so much fun. But humility is required. Knowledge is a beautiful gift, but it's not the greatest gift. And so look at verse 11 in closing. And because of your knowledge, remember, a great gift, but not the greatest. And because of your knowledge, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died? Wow, the death of the weaker brother through unbridled knowledge. Unbridled knowledge can cause a lot of harm. Unbridled knowledge can cause a lot of damage in the church, not to exclude death, not to exclude perishing. That same example of the five year old who wants to play rugby. And, you know, we say like, wow, you know, we're, we're going to play with a five year old. We're going to destroy this kid. He's just a five year old. That five year old can die. I'm bashed in the skull. Yes, you're stronger. Yes, you're more mature. But you can cause a lot of damage and harm to that five-year-old. Why? Because there's no humility. Lack of humility. You see? Unbridled knowledge does the exact same thing, spiritually speaking. Unbridled knowledge. You see? Now, don't forget knowledge. With knowledge, you can kill wolves. The knife that we or the sword that we carry, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's sharp and you can kill wolves easily easily kill wolves and you don't have to like strike and strike and strike it's sharper than any two it's just one little slash it's not like you got to go back and forth it's just kill the wolf dead wolf but it's very sharp you have to learn how to use it and know how to use it you see because of your knowledge shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. So many people, they get so puffed up in knowledge. Prideful and arrogant about knowledge. And the weaker person, it's like they like weak people to stay weak. That's that's the mark of a wolf. That's very dangerous. That's the mark of a hireling. That's the mark of a worthless shepherd. No, grow. Move on to perfection. Look how Titus, look how Timothy, how they were groomed by Paul. Paul's old, he's going to die. But the name of our Lord, the purpose of our Lord for whom we live. His name is going to go on through the generations. Titus and Timothy as pastors. You see? It's so beautiful because knowledge, it does puff up. Don't let it. Don't let it puff you up. Because it causes a lot of damage. It causes a lot of harm in the body. You see? And if you're a teacher, let not many be teachers because you're held to a stricter account. That's what Brother James says. People who are teachers who tout their knowledge in, like in a boastful and prideful sense. They tout their knowledge very cautious because it's like Paul he had knowledge he had immense knowledge but then whenever he would go on like you know like a, like hardcore knowledge he would say look I speak as a fool you want to boast I'm going to boast too I speak as a fool hum- humbling himself I speak as a fool this is the truth but I still speak as a fool You see it's very important very very important like you ever see like young college students in in, in college class and they say they're in economics class and they're listening to the economics professor and you have these college students and they're listening to the economics professor and they take everything he says as gospel truth not God I just mean gospel truth for the, you know the, the, the commonly used they just take it hook line and sinker everything he says is right everything this professor says is right but then you look at the investment portfolio of the <laughs> of the economist the guy who's a, a professional professional understands the markets understands you know supply and demand under, under, understands all these things but in application is he doing it no way no way the same thing applies in the church you know people like to present themselves like oh yeah i have all this knowledge i have all this knowledge but In application, are they doing it? Do you see the fruit? No, you see the opposite. You see the rottenness. You see the works of the flesh. That's why the Lord says, look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. Sometimes you'll see rotten fruit. Sometimes you'll see the hireling. Sometimes you'll see the wolf. You see? These are things that the Lord teaches us. He equips us. And so in verse 12, in closing, but when you thus sin against the brethren, yes, it is a sin. When you thus sin against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, you sin against Christ. (laughs) Let that never be said of us. You sin against Christ. That's what happens when you sin against the brethren and wound weak conscience. When he says wound the weak conscience, their weak conscience, it's to pummel with repeated blows with a fist or a hammer. That's how it translates. It's violent, but that's how it translates. It's to pummel with repeated blows with a fist or a hammer. You sin against Christ when that happens. What does that tell us? Don't do it. Don't do it. A five-year-old wants to play rugby with us? Come on. Let's play. We're going to have fun, five-year-old. We're going to have a lot of fun, four-year-old. We're going to have a lot of fun, three-year-old, six-year-old, seven-year-old. We're going to have gobs and gobs of fun. And you're going to learn. And we're going to run like the wind. And we're going to play. We're going to laugh. And the whole time, you're learning. You see? Then the 80-year-old wants to come in. Come on, 80-year-old. Let's play. You know, and unbeknownst to us, this 80 year old can, he's like a rock star on the field. But he humbles himself to teach the 20 year olds, to teach the five year olds. He humbles himself. She humbles herself. You see? Don't wound the weak. That's what happens with knowledge. You can wound the weak. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat. That's what he says. Whoa! I'm a meat eater. I like meat. The chicken, the steak, the ribeye. I love it. And he says, I will never eat meat lest I make my brother stumble. You see, to have regard for another brother, another sister as better than yourself. In accordance with what the word of God says in Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. Philippians 2 verse 3. Now, I have to say this. Chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, they've been applied already. They've been applied. Chapter 8 is not chapter 5. Chapter 8 is not written before chapter 5. And I say that for a reason. Because I'll tell you what Satan does and his minions do and those who are caught in the trap of Satan, what they do. They say, "Okay, you know, humble yourself so that you won't make a brother stumble. But don't forget when I say that chapter eight is not written in chapter four. Look what look what is no longer a factor in the church in Corinth. Chapter five, verse 11, not to keep company with anyone named a brother who is sexually immoral or covetous or an idolater or or a reviler or a drunkard or an extortioner, not even to eat with such a person. In verse 13 of chapter 5, put away from yourself the evil person. So when you look at these verses in chapter 8, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never again eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. But the word of God in the church in Corinth has already dealt with the leaven. The leaven has already been dealt with. The leaven is no longer in the church. You see, which makes this the application of chapter eight much easier, much easier. Not that we go for the ease. You know, people say, you know, the the, the path of least resistance, take that. No, that's not good because you're not going to grow. You take the path that the Lord has for you. So and you look at verse eight, chapter eight. It's like okay, you know, uh, 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 um, uh, 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 shall, uh, shall a weak brother perish for whom Christ died? Don't wound the weak conscience of another brother. Well, the Word of God in Corinth has already addressed carnality. Has already addressed the sexually immoral, the covetous, the idolater, the reviler, the drunkard, the extortioner. In chapter 6, verse 9, has already addressed the fornicator, the idolater, the the adulterer, the homosexual, the sodomite, the thieves, the covetous, the drunkard, the reviler, the extortioner. The married, the Lord has already addressed the married marriages that are, you know, all out of whack. The Lord has already addressed it in chapter 7. Divorces, the Lord has already addressed it. Single people, the Lord has already addressed it. which makes the application of chapter 8 much easier. Because Satan, he tries to trick people. And he's very good at it. He tries to trick people, saints. Satan tries to trick the saints. And say, okay, don't wound the weak conscience of this brother who is an idolater, this brother who is an extortioner, this this brother who is a drunkard, this brother who is sexually immoral, Don't wound their weak conscience. Well, biblically speaking, Paul says those people that you mentioned, put away from yourself the evil person. Those are people that Satan has already deceived. And you know, it's not like, you know, a a person had a a drink of alcohol and you're like, okay, get out of my face. No. No. Don't forget that the church in Corinth was three years on milk. Three years on milk. So they had ample time. Ample time. Remember, just as the Lord, before judgment is decreed, before judgment, you know, there's always grace and mercy. And we do the same too. Grace and mercy. And when I say judgment, I don't mean like, you know, okay, it's our wrath. No, the wrath of man, vengeance is the Lord's, it's not ours. But the judgment in the anacrino, the diacrino in making these assessments, the covetous, the idolater, the sexually immoral, the drunkard, the extortioner, to warn a brother, to warn a sister, hey, put down the pornography. Hey, cut it out. Cut out being covetous. You want to be a tax cheat because you're going to make an extra $5,000 in taxes? This is dirty money because you have that money through lies. You want to be a drunkard? Cut it out. Repent. A couple months later, they're still in that lifestyle. Warn them again. Even more time later, they're still in the lifestyle. Okay, look, I love you, but I have to be obedient to the Lord. I can't hang out with you anymore. I can't even eat with you anymore. No more meals. We're not going to have lunch anymore. No more. We can't go out to dinner anymore. Because I'm going to apply the Bible in my life and I have to put away from myself the evil person. Oh, but I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. My pastor says I can take the mark of the beast and I'll still be saved. Here, you get the mark of the beast too. No. That's deception. That person is deceived. You see? And you cannot be deceived. You cannot deceive yourself. That's what we're knowledge. Knowledge which is a beautiful, beautiful gift, comes in as a great assist. It's a help. It's a tool. It's not the greatest gift, but wow, it's a wonderful gift. That's where knowledge comes in handy. I don't say handy. like That's where knowledge is applied. Because you know these things. As Bereans, you know these things. But Satan will try to trick you and say okay don't wound the weak conscience of this reviler don't wound the weak conscience of this you know sex head don't wound the weak conscience of this covetous the idolater the drunkard the extortioner the drug dealer the tax cheat don't wound their weak conscience but biblically speaking see he knows the bible satan will quote the bible just as he did with jesus christ And if you don't have this knowledge, you might fall into the trap, but it is a trap. No, chapter five has already dealt with that. Chapter six has already dealt with other things. Chapter seven has already dealt with some things. Now we're getting into deeper things, things of the spirit, the conscience, the temple, not to defile. The temple of a weaker brother, a weaker sister. You see? Very important to understand these things. Because in these last days, as the wheat and the chaff, there, they grow together. But as we get closer to the harvest, these things are going to be more evident. The works of the flesh. Remember, the church is either false, apostate, or true. Christians. Christians are either apostate or virgins. And if they're virgins, they're wise or they're foolish. These things are going to come to surface in these last days. You're going to see light in Goshen, just like we study in Exodus. Don't let Satan deceive you. Because he will. He knows his time is short. He'll try to deceive you. And when he can't deceive you, he'll come to kill you. It is prophesied for these things to happen. He will prevail against the saints. Biblically speaking, prophetically speaking. And the world will hate you too. Because they bought the lie. They believe the lie. Fire from heaven. Signs and wonders. Just like the serpents of the gods of Egypt done by the sorcerers and the magicians. Just like the frogs. Signs and wonders. You see, fire from heaven, fire from heaven. This guy brings fire from heaven. Oh, he is of the Lord. But the people of the way, they know this is satanic. This is the false prophet. He is evil. You see, wise. Knowledge is a great tool, a great gift of the Lord, from the Lord. So that we can be Bereans. And understand and grow deeper and deeper and deeper in love with the Lord. And people perish for lack of knowledge. But even still, it's not the greatest gift. Love is the greatest gift. And in love, it's how we humble ourselves. Utilizing this greatest gift. Those with knowledge, humbling to play rugby with the five-year-olds. And have a blast to have fun. And, then the five, and the eight-year-olds can play with the five-year-olds and the 20-year-olds. And have fun. Have a blast. The next generation of righteousness. You see? For their fight. For their wars. For their battles. For the name of the Lord. God bless you guys. Love you guys.